power on. This is Aldous Huxley, a man haunted by a vision of hell on earth. A searing social critic, Mr. Huxley, 27 years ago, wrote Brave New World, a novel that predicted that someday the entire world would live under a frightful dictatorship. Today, Mr. Huxley says that his fictional world of horror is probably just around the corner for all of us. We'll find out why in a moment. The Mike Wallace Interview, presented by the American Broadcasting Company, in association with the Fund for the Republic, brings you a special television series discussing the problems of survival and freedom in America. Good evening, I'm Mike Wallace. Tonight's guest, Aldous Huxley, is a man of letters as disturbing as he is distinguished. He's just finished a series of essays called Enemies of Freedom, in which he outlines and defines some of the threats to our freedom in the United States. And Mr. Huxley, right off the bat, let me ask you this. As you see it, who and what are the enemies of freedom here in the United States? Well, I don't think you can say who in the United States. I don't think there are any sinister persons deliberately trying to rob people of their freedom. But I do think, uh, first of all, that there are a number of impersonal forces which are pushing in the direction of less and less freedom. And I also think that there are a number of technological devices which anybody who wishes to use can use to accelerate this process of going away from freedom, of imposing control. Earth, 2019. Dominant species, human. Galactic potential rating, zero. Cultural affiliation, combination of government and global businesses, corporatism, legacy institution. Species still conservative, superstitious, and religious. Ecologically illiterate, largely unaware of cosmological foundation of love level of technological dependence is disturbingly higher than the galactic standard. Species distracted and behavior controlled by technology companies. System error. Advanced concepts detected beyond normal human levels. New galactic potential rating, over 9000. Transmission type, podcast. Host, The Man of Tomorrow. Brian Sovereign. Source, Sovereign Tech. Welcome to my humble show, baby. It is Sovereign Tech, and I am your host, the Golden Stallion, the man of tomorrow, Sob Zoo, the rated R radio star, the man that's always wearing woo, triple black, baby. And uh, wow, I got a whole ton of new names because I have a whole ton of, whole, whole ton? What, what is it, a half ton? No. Anyway, I have a ton of new podcasts. Uh, of course, if you go to zomia1.com, you can find out about all of that because, baby, it is my circus. 
I get to control it all. I get to do it all. Get to talk it all. And whoo, the feedback I've gotten. You are loving it, and I am so honored by that. And it is such a pleasure, of course, to come to you every week. Uh, well, hell, almost every day now. What am I talking about? Almost every day I get to come to you, uh, especially if you are a member of the Zomia One Underground, which you can join that for a very, very low fee. Of course, you can go for a very high fee if you really appreciate what I do, and I'm honored by that. You just go to that Zomia1.com. And you go to the left hand, you go to the little hamburger menu, you go to the left hand side and you can sign up and you get access to exclusive content only available to you if you are a member of the Zomia One Underground. But uh, wow, do we have a lot of completely free, uh, well, free as in beer, not as in freedom, uh, a lot of completely free, I, I wish, I wish I could talk about freedom. I mean, I can, you know, and I like to, personal freedom, big fan, but uh you know, just every week there's just some other kind of horseshit going on. But you know what? Actually, just to just to shake things up, I am going to open up with a story that's a little bit different, a little bit different from what I usually talk about, because this is something where I don't think anyone's like forcing upon you, uh, perhaps like Aldous Huxley was talking about, if you heard the opening audio there. I don't think anyone's like forcing upon you a technology per se that is, uh, uh, that is taking away your freedom, but it's something that I have come to very much rely upon. And when I become me personally, the man of tomorrow, when I become reliant upon something, as soon as I realize that, wow, this has become a major part of my life, or I'm really relying on this perhaps to get access to information, to learn new things, whatever, but it, it's a tool that allows me to do that. I like to stop I like to pause and assess what exactly am I doing with this? And so we're going to open up this show. We've got some great shit to talk about. Oh, we've got, we got a great blockchain segment to get into with some very interesting, some tips for you to secure your fucking shit because you know, you should when it comes to your crypto, by the way, I saw the crypto movie. Holy fucking A. <laughs> I might talk about it for a second during the blockchain segment next week. I'll do a full review. We're not doing it this week. I got other things I want to talk about. Okay. Uh, we got some more Facebook horseshit to talk about a little later on. We got all kinds of great stuff to talk about. And you know, I'm going to deliver stuff that you just won't hear anywhere else. All right. But I'm going to open up with a story about audiobooks. And it's something, it's actually, it's an older story. It was sent in to me. Um, I've been lately going through a lot of what Sovereign Tech listeners have, uh, have sent to me really over the years and trying to look at more of that evergreen content. Uh, I mean, there's a time and place, there's segments, quite frankly, there's segments where I can get into, uh, you know, the, the news of the week, uh, the current events, the hot and happening. But I think it's important that we, you know, again, like I said, assess, stop and think about what exactly we are implementing into our lives with uh, something as simple, well, not so simple, with that block of sensors in your pocket. I'm sorry, that smartphone in your pocket that's tracking every little thing that you do. I mean, I'm sorry, that's making everything convenient for you. Uh, I said that wrong. But um, yeah, anyway, this is a story. Well, it's from Wired, okay? And the story's actually from, boy, August of last year. So, I mean, not too far away, but far enough. And here it is. Here's the headline. Listening isn't reading but audiobooks still resonate. Now, I have in recent years become a, I mean, I've, I've been a fan for varying reasons of audiobooks for a very long time. In fact, I have a rule, or I used to have a rule. That rule no longer applies, but I used to have a rule that, okay, I can listen to, you know, audiobooks are great for fiction, 
but they suck for nonfiction. Like when I'm trying to learn something, they're, they're not that good. That used to be kind of my running rule. And so I would use audiobooks to appreciate because often what would happen is like with uh, star Wars audiobooks that I read every new one that comes out. I'm reading master and apprentice right now, actually uh, by Claudia gray, which is incredible. All about Qui-Gon Jinn and all that. Of course I do a show, a star Wars podcast called tie fighter renegades um, with my co-host Rob. And you know, I mean, I have to read this stuff to be able to talk to you about it and bring it to you. Is it worthwhile for you to bother reading? Cause believe me, there's plenty of star Wars books, not worth your time uh, reading. Uh, here's looking at you phasma. <clears throat> um, but regardless, I will read these things. And the thing is, is when they do the star Wars books and there's some other books where they do this, where, where audible will put in or not audible, but whoever the production company happens to be in this case uh, with star Wars, it's not audible, but sometimes it's audible. They put in, you know, sound effects and got great music. And of course the star Wars, you have great sound effects and great music. I mean, and all the stuff that came out from Ben Burdick crew at Skywalker sound. And of course, John Williams and so on that, that you can take advantage of that just makes for something that's more than just a reading experience. And I think it's important that we keep those kinds of audio experiences in mind. Um, but let's read this story about that audiobooks isn't listening to audiobooks isn't reading. And we'll, well, I'll let you know what I think about it. But anyway, here we go. After the death of Ursula K. Legin, I downloaded the audiobook version of No Time to Spare, one of the final tomes from the celebrated fantasy writer. It's a clear-headed dialectic on getting old and getting on with it, and I hoped in choosing the audiobook to hear Legin on the other side, as if to find the text preserved in the amber of her own voice. Instead, I found the voice of Barbara Caruso. Caruso is a veteran narrator who has voiced audiobooks for the works of uh, Joan Didion, uh, Louisa May Alcott, and Jonathan Safran Foyer. But to me, in the moment, I probably butchered some of those names, but reading on, but to me, in the moment, she was instead an interloper. What was she doing here? Who was she to, inter to intrude on my literary Shiva? Oh, I like that. Literary Shiva. Uh, I streamed the book for an hour, busying myself with household tasks after realizing the words had washed over me like a sound bath. I gave up and downloaded the book to my Kindle instead. Such is the nature of audiobooks. To quote-unquote read one is nothing like reading at all. If reading demands full attention, audiobooking makes a useful companion to other tasks. You can listen to one on the treadmill or while scrolling through Instagram. If reading is solitary, audiobooking can easily be made social, a happy addition to a road trip. Reading requires a setting like a plush armchair. Audiobooking is, almost by definition, in motion. Nobody sits on a couch to listen to one. Uh, stallion breaking in, that's not true. <laughs> I kick back on a couch and listen to an audiobook many a time, but regardless, let's keep reading. Nobody rewinds to linger on a particularly beautiful passage. Nobody dog ears a book on tape. Stallion breaking in again. Um, I absolutely do rewind uh, to rehear something that I heard was particularly awesome. And I will bookmark it as well uh, within, say, the Audible app or if, uh, if it's uh, an audiobook that I got through other means that will not be named. I mean, what the fuck? I might as well say it. Torrenting. Pirate Bay. Woo. Uh, you know, and I'm putting it on smart audiobook player. Um, I will, I'll, I'll bookmark it, but anyway, reading on. In spite of this, or in fact because of it, audiobooks have exploded. Revenue from audiobook downloads was up uh, 32% in the first quarter of 2018 compared to the same period last year, the latest milestone in an upswing that has continued even as ebook sales flatline. Some can no longer muster the patience for reading. So fried are their brains from the dopamine vortex of the internet age. Others use audiobooks to save time as multitasking, or, or as multitasking, or at least our insistence that we can multitask, or stanley breaking in, 
Um, we've certainly got into that about on Sovereign Tech about how multitasking is really talk about a fiction, you know, not audiobooks. Multitasking itself is an absolute fiction that we tell ourselves we cannot do it. Um, I mean, not not at least not very well. But continuing on, has become increasingly necessary. So has the ability to consume literature while doing something else. There are practical reasons too. Audiobooks can be useful for those learning a new language, for those who, vis- who those who are visually impaired or can't read on their own. It's the most accessible way to quote unquote read. But for many readers, it's a cop out, a way to read without well the bother of actually looking at words. Now, I want to stop here for a second. There's a couple points within this paragraph specifically, uh, and it's maybe the most important paragraph of the entire story, but there's a couple points here I want to get into. Saving time, like I told you, I used to have a rule that, okay, fiction, I'll do an audiobook format, nonfiction, no, I need to read that. Um, that rule I tossed out a couple years ago, and it really came to... Like that rule came to be a thing when the, the audible app and not that it couldn't do this before, but when I really like became something practical for me to do. And really, I think a lot of it came from traveling, but when I found out that, oh, I can listen to books at like 2.5 speed, 2.5 X, right. At twice the speed, I can listen to books faster than I can read them. That has always been for me, the argument and the only argument. Now, I mean, for, you know, as far as like accessibility for, you know, variously ways of being impaired or handicapped, that's a whole, of course, that's legitimate. That's a whole other thing. Um, But for me, the argument for audiobooks has always been, I can listen to an audiobook faster than I can read it. That is the premier reason that I bother with audiobooks. Otherwise, I am happy to, I mean, I have a, a, you know, I have a Kindle Oasis. I got the, you know, fancy ninth generation one, whatever, and it can hold literally thousands of books it has 32 gigs, uh, you know, built of onboard storage on it. I mean, it, it's fantastic. How many books I, I've, I've, yeah, you can even put audiobooks on that thing. And, and I haven't come close to filling it. Um, I mean, not that I have my whole library on there because well, anyway, that's a lot of fucking books, but regardless, I mean, just about anything I could ever want to read and blah, blah, blah. I mean, would definitely very easily fit on that. Um, or that I want to have with me on the regular, which is a beautiful thing because I am all about that, you know, being, having stuff be very portable. Um, but yeah, the, the save time part, absolutely. And it's not save time as in, well, I don't want to take the hour to sit down and actually read. It's save time in that it's faster. It's so significantly faster for me to listen to an audiobook than it is to actually read it. It's not that I prefer the audiobook per se. Again, it's that it literally is just that. It is just faster. I mean, it's amazing. I can I could read hell if I wanted to. I could listen to two books in a day because, you know, you could do a 10-hour book is a full-on novel. And at 2.5 X, I can listen to that in under five hours, 10 hours in a day. You know, I mean, I could knock out two books a day if I really wanted, uh, and they're hell fuck. There's times where I have, there's times where I've read an entire trilogy in a day, you know, just so that I could review it on sovereign tech the next day. It's insane. But anyway, let me keep reading on with the book, but just, just to kind of explain where I'm coming from on that. Um, let, let's, let's keep going with the, with the story here. It wasn't always this way. Books have existed for millennia, and we've had speakers since Alexander Graham Bell. Speakers as in, like, you know, audio speakers. But few people thought it sounded cool to smash those concepts together. Thomas Edison did, however, create phonographic books for the blind as early as 1877. The rise of the audiobook didn't come until the late 1970s, in part following a new and novel technology, the cassette tape. As audio, which, by the way, is on a resurgence right now. (laughs) I've 
I've briefly talked about that in the Hard and Fast podcast. Uh, but anyway, as audio became uh, portable and the Walkman became covetable, the most valuable real estate was no longer the eyes but the ears. Everyone had their head stuffed between two plush muffs uh, for publishers that presented an opportunity. For listeners, it did too. The audiobook optimizes the reading experience. Even today, people who listen to them say that, quote, audiobooks help you finish more books, end quote, uh, which is exactly what I was saying earlier. But anyway, reading on. Reading in its purest sense, then, almost or seems almost bourgeois. Who has the time? The cassette may be dead. Well, again, like I said, it's not. <laughs> but anyway, but Silicon Valley still sees the appeal of an audio first future. Just look at the rise of Siri, Alexa, and Google Assistant. Books, it seems, are part of the package. Google announced audiobook support in the Google Play Store this year, and Apple recently resurrected its long-forgotten books app. Uh, this summer... HarperCollins launched a UK initiative called StoryCastle to deliver audiobooks to children via Google Assistant. Audible, Amazon's wildly successful audiobook company, uh, Stanley breaking in, well, anyway, says has only grown. Just quick on that. Audible started, it was not originally an Amazon company. It was just a company designed to turn science fiction classics that publishers were ignoring and turn them into audiobooks. That's all Audible originally was. Amazon ended up buying them out, uh, you know, eventually, because frankly, Jeff Bezos is a massive science fiction fan. I mean, he really is, folks. Um, and I mean, it's not just marketing. There's certainly parts to that. But anyway, that that's what happened there. Uh, I know because I remember when I got the email that, that Audible got bought out because I had an Audible account back then. Uh, but regardless, last year it introduced, that being Audible, introduced a segment for romance novels for people who apparently want their smart mainlined into their eardrums or i don't know needed to have a free hand from page turning Woo! <laughs> oh boy anyway uh, i've never gotten into that like like listening well I, no i do listen to some erotica and, and it gets spicy but anyway th like there's that whole plan where you can buy a romance package and anything and maybe that's just because people just want to hear the sex scenes in these books and so having a a buffet uh, option, you know, a, a, where an unlimited option where you can just download those books willy nilly, um, makes a ton of sense. Of course, maybe that's a good thing because then that would create the incentive for you to just make more sex scenes. And is there any such thing as too much sex? Nope. Reading on, uh, it's hard not, it's hard not to feel it's hard. <laughs> It's hard not to feel like something is lost in this transition. To read is a unique transaction between author and reader, a co-created world between the words and the mind. It's an escape from what's around you and an exercise in patience. To read and to be read to are inherently not the same thing. If you run 26 and a quarter miles on a treadmill, have you really run a marathon? Ooh, interesting analogy. Of course, Proof by analogy isn't proof, but going on. But in an era where other mediums threaten the humble book, don't even get me started on film and television adaptations of novels, boy, no kidding, the audiobook has a rightful place. It brings books back to the center. Most of us experienced our first stories as a sort of audiobook, narrated not by the author, but by our parents and our teachers. We learned the contours of the words from the way they pronounced them and fell in love with stories because they were read aloud to us. Perhaps audiobooks can do that too. Bring us back to the books we love, even when reading in its purest form has never felt more out of reach. Now, again, in my personal opinion, the only, really the only great argument outside of accessibility, the only great argument for audiobooks is quite simply that, I mean, yeah, you could say, well, you can listen to it while you're doing like kind of a mindless task, right? And that's the thing. If you're doing a mindless task, you really can, you can let the words get in your head. There's, there's 
I, I, I don't, th- I mean, I think that's totally true. That's totally possible. Okay. But how many of us, you know, we're not exactly all standing in front of conveyor belts anymore at the factory, right? I mean, there, at least there's not, I, I'm, I know there's people out there doing that, but there's, you know, it's not as big a deal as it was say in the 1920s. I don't know, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> But, uh, but again, that the ability to read so quickly, the ability to take that in so quickly and not everybody can do that, but I think you can eventually learn to like, as you listen at, you slowly progress, you start at one X, then you get to 1.25 X, then you get to 1.5 X and you keep building up. I think you can eventually learn to listen to things significantly faster. This is also true, uh, with, with, with podcasts. Okay. Um, you know, I mean, I think that's the really valid argument for audiobooks existing. They've been around for a very long time. And not unironically, I think the speed is still kind of the main argument here because back, you know, 20 years ago, like I remember, I listened to audiobooks when they were on cassette and even when they were on CD. Uh, in fact, one of my favorite book series ever is the Shatnerverse which is a, a term for the Star Trek books written, quote unquote, written by William Shatner, um, you know, starting off with Ashes of Eden and then, you know, going into the return and, and Avenger and, you know, just going down that whole series. It's a tremendous series. It's very wor- uh, well worthwhile. You can actually find it on Audible. The funny thing you'll notice when you get it, though, is that it's abridged, right? Which was this terrible, terrible term, uh, abridged. Now, if it's abridged, there's a few reasons that that audiobooks used to be abridged. But I think there's one that a lot of people might not realize. The reasons that they are abridged, one is, is that a lot of times to sell an audiobook, you had to put some kind of superstar reading them like those, the Shatner verse books for star Trek, William Shatner actually does the books. Okay. Now does William Shatner, those books are huge. I mean, originally written actually by Judith and Garfield Reeves Stevens, but they're the, these massive tomes, especially like the return and so on. And they seem to just get bigger like by specter, you know, there are quite a few hundred pages. Um, you know, I mean, are you going to be able to get William Shatner with all that, that, all the time that guy spends and how much he costs and all that to actually sit down and read an entire, you know, 500 page or four, whatever, uh, uh, you know, Star Trek novel, probably not. So an abridged version that just gets to the point is, is, is cost effective in that sense. It's cost effective in the sense that if it's on audio cassette or even CD, you, you know, that's less cassettes you have to make. That's less CDs you have to print out if it's abridged. Um, even though they will add in like sound effects to those. And that was becoming popular in the nineties and, and into the aughts. Of course, once you get into the aughts, then we start talking about iPods and everything. And that's when audible or services like audible become feasible. Uh, but then also you end up with the situation that I think is really there is that the idea of an audiobook, why you would spend time listening to a book is so that you could take it in, in, I mean, this concept of, of, of not speed reading, but of getting through the books faster, I think even existed then. And that was one of the major reasons for, uh, book companies, you know, with, with the Shatner verse, it would have been Simon and Schuster, uh, you know, doing abridged versions of, you know, these really huge novels, uh, and so on. And just kind of getting to the point, they're almost a cliff notes version, almost in a way. Um, so I think this has always been the argument for audiobooks. Uh, I don't think anyone would really concede that listening, you know, that listening to a book is somehow the same or better than actually, you know, looking at the words and reading it in the voice. The idea that it's an interloper that you're not hearing. I mean, I'll tell you, and, and I think these exist. Um, 
my my dear and lost friend uh, last year, Harlan Ellison. Um, he, you know, it, I I think they're out there. Um, they they've added new audiobooks by by Harlan uh, in in Audible. And, but I don't think they're read by Harlan as to where in the past you would have them like voices from the edge and, you know, shatter day and death bird and all this by him. Um, like if, if I, if I didn't, I mean, there's no way when I read Harlan's words and, and you read Harlan's style, especially when you, when you've known him, like I have, um, you can't help but hear his voice when you read it. Right. I mean, you just can't, you can't fucking help. But yeah, I'd feel pretty weird, you know? not not hearing Harlan's voice in my head if I'm reading something or listening to something that was written by Harlan. It, it would it would come off as, as very strange. And I was even when when Harlan died last year, I read uh, the opening to his uh, to his book Angry Candy, which was all about death. And uh, I was reticent to do it for this very reason that I felt like an interloper. I felt like no Harlan should be reading this. But in fact, like I looked for it to find where, you know, where's Harlan reading, you know, the opening to Angry Candy. But the problem was, is what was out there was an audiobook from 20, 30 years ago, made for tape or whatever by, I don't know if it was Doubleday or whoever the fuck Harlan was publishing with at the time, where this just boring fucking slap nuts is reading Harlan's. And, and it's so insulting to hear this guy read Harlan straight faced. You know, it's like you, it's like you got some guy off of summer stock plays, you know, coming in and, and reading one of the, the most visceral uh, voices that humanity has ever known, that being Harlan Ellison. And it's it's very fucking odd. And so what, you know, gave me the confidence to go ahead and read Harlan's words in my voice was that, well, look, someone's got to put this stuff out there, at least with some kind of passion that Harlan could possibly provide. Now, I'm not going to say that I could even get close, but I could sure as fuck do better than whoever the fuck they hired to read that audiobook. So that's a very real thing. And that's a very real point. And, and I don't think there is something to be said for that, even in an audiobook, that you would... You know, like with those Star Wars books that I mentioned. Now, Star Wars is Star Wars, okay? You know, there, there's a set style, there's a set fa- set fashion. Uh, uh, you know, there, there's 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 a way that that gets presented to you. There's visuals that automatically come to mind because it's Star Wars, and Star Wars is such you know so ingrained in pop culture, right? So that's not so much of a concern. And maybe that's why I always felt that those audiobooks were just fine because like the images, I already had the images in my head. In fact, they were the first books that I was able to listen to at like 2.5x because I know Star Wars so well it's such a part of my being that okay like i already have all that filled in i don't even really have to listen to everything just give me the dialogue and i know what's going on you know and i can already picture the universe no matter what you're where it is or what they're doing um so you know but i mean but that's the thing is that all then you know go into things like uh i don't know say dune or um or you know like ian ian m banks work you know the culture series or something like that um, I have very specific ways in which I imagine, especially like say the culture series, you know, because there's never been a movie made or anything like that. And there's ways that I hear Ian M. Banks's voice. And I am curious to see whenever the culture series comes to, you know, Amazon's turning it into a mini series or whatever, uh, when that all comes to life, you know, I wonder how different that's going to be, but, but Ian Banks has a voice in my head and it's, it's a voice that comes with a certain authority based upon the way that I read his books. Not that I listened to them, but the way that I read his books. 
And there might be something lost in that because the artist, the creator, let's say in the example of E&M Banks, didn't consider. I mean, now maybe authors consider it and it's just like part of the package deal. There's whole problems with that, but that, that's another conversation. But at the time, you know, the author was thinking, okay, you're going to read this and this is going, what, what images are going to pop up in your head? And what, and they would write it in such a way to make sure that certain images perhaps did pop up in your head and that any other way that that's done, be it an audio or whatever, would come off as strange. And especially if there's like different voices that you hear, I I think there is, there is a very real difference. If it's something that was originally created on the, you know, in the written word to be on the page or in the ebook, whatever that there is a shift when you listen to it as an audiobook. It's not the same, and you're not getting it in the way that perhaps the, the author originally intended. And I think there's an importance to experiencing things in the way that the author originally, uh, you know, intended that for that to be. And not only that, but the split attention. Now, again, you can be doing mindless tasks, for sure. You know, no doubt about that when you're listening to an audiobook or something, but they're very much, even in, even in some of the, I mean, not every task is so mindless and there's some where you think, yeah, no, I can listen to this. I can get through this. And, and I've experienced this too, where in fact, where I'll be talking to someone and they'll tell me about something in a book. And I'm like, wait, I didn't catch that part. And it's because, you know, my, my attention was divided when you're reading a book, when you have to read a book, it is engaging so much of your senses, especially if it's actually a paper book, right? Because then there's, there's the smell of the paper. There's, there's hearing the, the, you know, the flip of the pages and so on. Like there's so much going on there. It enraptures your intent, your attention. And I wonder just how well, you know, with audiobooks. And again, I, I think for, mo- I, I said what I think are the valid arguments for an audiobook, the not so valid arguments for the audiobook. Uh, is the idea that you can do it while multitasking. And I don't know that you can do that so well. You know, and it's true for podcasts too. I mean, and that's not to say, like if people actually did sit down and just listen to an audiobook and just like sit down and just kick back and do that, I think audiobooks could still deliver a, you know, a close and a closer approximation to perhaps what the writer originally intended, even though I think there is some, there's certain magic to, and the writer knows this, a great writer will know this. There's a certain magic to like reading the words and what happens is your eyes pass it. In fact, speaking of Harlan Ellison, like he does like little tricks with the written word where, where in some books he changes font, you know, at points to like make, to create a certain madness. Uh, in the writing and you lose that in the audiobook unless somebody like performs it in a certain way, but there's no guarantees that that's going to end up getting performed the right way. So, yeah, I, I think that we do lose some attention and some, and, and a lot of like the, the memories of what we're reading. And, and yeah, I mean, I know there's some people who say, oh, I learned visually. Oh, I learned better, you know, via, uh, you know, audibly, or I don't know if that's a real word, but <laughs> But, you know, that they learn better in these different ways. Maybe that ends up being true. But let's not toss out everything. And I think it's important. I, I think people, you know, I, I've talked about this before. People need to read books. It's so important. And it, and look, it's better that you read books. If you're going to, if you have to listen to them, if that's how you can get it in, certainly that's better than not reading any book at all. I'm not going to say that that's not true. But I think we are losing something when we don't stop and get on a distraction-free device, like an actual paper book, perhaps, or, you know, a, a Kindle e-reader. Smartphone, yeah, okay, if you if that's all you got and you read on your smartphone, 
all right, I guess that's what you got. But I mean, you know, the fact that you can get notifications and everything is just going to fuck shit up in my opinion. But I think we're really losing something when we're not giving these classics, when we're not giving books the attention, the soul attention. S-O-L-E and hell, if you want to get saucy, S-O-U-L. When you're not giving them the soul attention that they deserve. Reading is a powerful experience. Audio can be a powerful thing. You know, when you're podcasting, I know I've been podcasting for almost a decade now. I am between your ears. This is a very private, we, you and I, we are having a private conversation right now, unless you have it playing out loud, which I'm terrified if you do that, but thank you regardless. But we're missing something when we're not taking the time to stop and read, not just read again. If that's all you got, it's all you got. But if we need to get back in the habit of stopping and reading, and I think this is a very interesting clarion call. And also like, look, let's, let's not, let's not get into, you know, where, I mean, the problems with Google assistant and all this, I mean, the reason that people are pushing for audio, 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 that's so eventually you don't have a device. And once you don't have a device anymore in your hand, even a smartphone with a touchscreen of some kind, and everything's being done by your voice commands or whatever else you have lost complete control of your ability to interact with the digital realm. And in some ways, if the digital realm is as important to reality as, uh, you know, as meat space, right. As the physical. Oh, then you've just, I mean, you've lost control of reality in a very real sense. I have an old saying it's called hooey, which H U I it's hands-free UI. Uh, but I call it hooey because I think it's hooey, you know, this idea of everything going to voice commands. Yeah. It's cool on star Trek. It's not cool in reality because you have not the the nicest of powers in control of that. And I'm looking at you, Google, Amazon, go down the list of them. Don't turn it all over to these virtual assistants. Don't lose control. Keep a keyboard in front of you if you can help it. If you, hey, if you know how to go AFK, and I mean, not just AFK, but AFV, you know, away from voice or AFVC, is that a new term that we should call it? Away from voice command? Well, then you've just hit success if you can get away from all that and then pick up a paper book and kick back for a few hours and actually really engross yourself. Take, take in the words, you know, of, of, well, voices of the past or of the present, if you want. Anyway, all right, we'll be right back with some more Sovereign Tech, a whole lot more to get into, but I think that that's an important thing to pay attention. Yeah, audiobooks are awesome. I've been taking them in like no tomorrow and allows me to read so many great things and be able to bring that information to you. But then at the same time, feel like I've lost something and I don't want to lose anything. I'll be right back with more. Hey, if you have a project that needs reliable cryptocurrency data, check out blocktap.io. Blocktap.io is a universal cryptocurrency API. You can get historical prices for Bitcoin and other digital assets that you can use to build charts and do market analysis. Blockchain data is also indexed, so you can get transaction statistics, address balances, and more for Bitcoin and other networks. Blocktap.io is free for personal use, and you don't even need to create an account to access the API. To get started, try some of the example queries on the homepage at blocktap.io. Again, that's B-L-O-C-K-T-A-P.io, blocktap.io, and we thank them for sponsoring Sovereign Tech. Woo, let's get back to the show.
Hack Sec. It is time for Hack Sec where we talk issues of security and wow is what will come as no surprise to anybody, especially since 2018. And of course, I've been, uh, you know, kind of on the on the tear about this for many years. We're going to talk about Facebook. But, you know, I'll tell you, I I love getting to talk about reading <laughs> anytime and anytime I can implore people to get into reading more. Look, if you got to do audiobooks, go ahead, and do them. But if you can get, you know, if you can really get in deep into a physical book or at least, you know, maybe on a, on a good solid e-reader like Kobo or whatever, fuck, do it. Um, but, you know, if anytime you want to talk about any of this stuff, you know what I want you to check out? In fact, this is going to get you some audio. You know, instead of an audiobook, you can hit up a podcast. How about one that goes seven nights a week, three hours a night? And that's not one of my shows, baby. We're talking about Free Talk Live. You go to freetalklive.com, Sovereign Tech Sponsor. I I started my whole, in many ways, my radio career on Free Talk Live. It was an honor to have been a host on there for two years. We're talking about the number 27 talk show in the country, in the United States. You want to jump on Free Talk Live. Go to freetalklive.com. You can call all in and you can talk. It's an open phone show. Talk about whatever the fuck you want to talk about. Do it, make it happen. And hell, if you want to talk about stuff we brought up on Sovereign Tech, bring it up there. Mention Sovereign Tech while you're on there. They're, they love the show. They well, Obviously, they're sponsoring it. They know the deal. So anyway, freetalklive.com. Go ahead and hit that up. Now, let's, uh, you know, that aside, let us get into Facebook, uh, which, you know, we, we talk about enough. And I'll keep talking about it, frankly, until um, I hear from more of you that you have deleted your Facebook accounts. And then maybe one day we'll just stop talking about Facebook because hopefully by that time, that means the company will be dead or at the very least a pale, sh- a pale shadow of what it once was. So, and, and I can't wait to talk about it like that in the past tense, but regardless, this is something we brought it up briefly uh, a couple episodes ago. And what ended up happening was, is there were emails getting, Facebook was contacting uh, various users and asking them for, you know, they knew their email address and they were asking them, I'm not kidding. Facebook was officially, and they, they've, they've copped up to this. They've admitted that they were doing this. They were asking Facebook users for their email passwords, not their Facebook password, for their email passwords. Now, what the hell is going on with that? But And, and you think, holy shit, that's bad enough. What the fuck? What company in the right mind would ever ask you for your email passwords, considering that you know your email is often one of your first lines of authentication and verification of who in the fuck you are? And it's, it's, it's a major part of your security, right? You want to talk about having something locked down? You better lock down your fucking email. I mean, this is one of the few reasons that, that I would say using Gmail is a good idea. Even if you're done with Gmail and you want to go rock with like a Sovereign Tech, uh, you know, a, a company on board with Sovereign Tech, that being Fastmail, fastmail.fm, go, go hit them up. Okay. But one of the reasons I argue for that is that you can lock down your Google account so well using a YubiKey that sure, Gmail can become a very, very secure platform. But it's not the most secure thing on planet Earth when you have, you know, I mean, yeah, have, you have, if you have to have the YubiKey, that would stop a lot of what we're about to talk about here. No matter if Facebook asks you for your, your email password, they're not getting in without the YubiKey, okay, which would be a great, you know, bulwark against this whole bullshit. But basically, if you were just counting on Google in general to, well, Google will keep Gmail secure, I don't need a YubiKey, blah, blah, blah. Well, Facebook, all they have to do is ask for your password. Fuck, if you give it to them, your email password, you're screwed. Well, I mean, isn't Facebook going to be nice uh, about it? You know, can't I trust Facebook? Uh, Cambridge Analytica? How many more words do I have to say? 
Anyway, from Business Insider, let's do this. Uh, Facebook says it, quote, unintentionally uploaded, unintentionally uploaded, end quote, 1.5 million people's email accounts without their consent. Now, before we even get into the story, you could say to yourself, 1.5 million, that's not even 10% of Facebook's user base. Well, what? I mean, what? <laughs> how many people does it take before it becomes a problem? Yeah, 2, two million, 200 million? Is, is that when it becomes serious? Just picture the worst possible thing that Facebook could do as far as digital security goes. And you tell me that the company does as a fucking policy and you can say unintentional, we're going to talk about that, okay? But as a fucking policy, you tell me, what, what numbers do you need to where it becomes a problem and to where you say, holy shit, this company is, is far more trouble than it's worth? Let's read the story here from April 17th, 2019, okay? Uh, Facebook harvested the email contacts of 1.5 million users without their knowledge or consent when they opened their accounts. Since May 2016, the social networking company has collected the contact lists of 1.5 million users new to the social network, Business Insider can reveal. The Silicon Valley company said the contact data was, quote, unintentionally uploaded to Facebook, end quote, and it is now deleting them. Oh, of course they are. Right. Sure. Trust Facebook. The, the revelation comes after pseudonymous security researcher E. Sushi noticed that Facebook was asking some users to enter their email passwords when they signed up for new accounts to verify their identities, a move widely condemned by security uh, experts. Business Insider then discovered that if you entered your email password, a message popped up saying it was, quote, importing, end quote, your contacts without asking for permission first. At the time, it wasn't clear what was happening, but on Wednesday, Facebook disclosed to Business Insider that 1.5 million people's contacts were collected this way and fed into Facebook systems where they were used to improve Facebook's ad targeting, build Facebook's uh, web of social connections, and recommend friends to add. A Facebook spokesperson said before May 2016, it offered an option to verify a user's account using their email password and voluntarily upload their contacts at the same time. However, they said the company changed the feature and text informing users that their contacts would be uploaded was deleted, but the underlying functionality was not. Facebook didn't even, didn't access the content of users' emails, the spokesperson added. Oh, okay, well, we'll believe them. But users' contacts uh, can still be highly sensitive data, revealing who people are communicating with and connect to. While 1.5 million people's contact books were directly harvested by Facebook, the total number of people whose contact information was imported obtained, or improperly obtained by Facebook may well be in the dozens or even hundreds of millions, as people sometimes has hundreds of contacts stored on their email accounts. The spokesperson could not provide a figure for the total number of contacts obtained this way. Of course not. Uh, because that number would probably terrify the fuck out of all of us. The screenshot uh, below, anyway, there's a screenshot here. It shows the password entry page users saw upon sign. So if you're like, oh, no, that didn't actually happen. No, 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 here's the screenshot. This occurred. Um, anyway, Business Insider discovered this was happening by signing up for Facebook with a fake account before Facebook discontinued the password verification feature. In our test, after the authentication uh, loading screen finished, a new box popped up saying it didn't find any contacts and then took us to the home screen of the social network. A user might have been able to infer from this that their contacts were being accessed, but there's no way to stop it happening or advance notice ahead of time. You understand? It just did it. There's no X to hit. There's no cancel. It just started doing it, and you had no idea that it was going to do it, and it just made it happen. 
So anyway, Business Insider goes on to just list off the, you know, the various crises that have happened with Facebook uh, really over the past couple of years. Of course, I would say this has been going on for a much longer time. In fact, contacts up, contact uploading or contact list uploading has been going on with Facebook uh, for over 10 years um, there. And, and I remember when people used to actually freak out about that shit, you know, and now I, I don't know what they're doing, but this is ridiculously egregious. You are, and whether you realize it or not, just signing up for a Facebook account, having a Facebook account, everybody in your context list, you are putting at risk. And in a very real way, you are invading their privacy. Now, when I ever, I mean, I am a class F, maybe, maybe celebrity. Okay. Class F that's putting it mildly internet famous a little bit, you know? Um, and so, you know, my phone number, my main phone number, we're going to talk about phone numbers during the blockchain segment. Okay. But my main phone number, it's out there, whatever, a shit ton of fucking people have it. And there's not much I can do about it. in fact, because I run basically my own business, I, you know, it's, it's at the end of each of my emails. I mean, people have to get in touch with me in whatever way. And also because of various activist groups and other things that I deal with. I mean, basically the ways to get in touch with me are very, very public. They have to be because I'm a quasi public figure. However, does that mean I don't have other phone numbers or other things that are, you know, more secretive ways to get in touch with me, etc.? What do you think? And if those, if that other information was in your contact list and you just happened to sign up for Facebook, zip, all that suddenly, you know, goes right out to Facebook. And then you could say, well, but actually Google has all this and all. You're totally right. Don't you see this as a problem? that there isn't like a really encrypted context list or, or, I mean, I know, and I know there's some apps out there that kind of do this and they've been tried in the past. In fact, I think open whisper systems or the, what's now the signal foundation more or less uh, used to have, or maybe it was the guardian project. Anyway, it, there's been attempts at doing this, but people didn't understand, didn't see the point to having their uh, context list, you know, being encrypted. Uh, now there's a very goddamn good reason for that to be because apps can just instantly do this. Uh, you know, I, I mean, and this is the thing is that Apple or Google, none of their, uh, you know, none of the policies that they have in place for apps did anything or could do anything to stop this. That's a problem. Facebook unintentionally doing this. Now this gets to a, a theory that I think is getting more and more proven all the time. Um, in fact, some, uh, someone had a great listener had shared a story, uh, on Twitter, um, uh, with me that was, I think it was something to the effect that like Facebook's algorithms basically can't help, but be racist. I'm not surprised. Uh, and also like, well, this was a feature that was supposed to be deleted, but it wasn't deleted. Here's the thing. Facebook has been jamming so much shit into their servers, into their services, that as I've said for years on this show, Facebook has, I mean, it, Facebook itself, the, you know, the newsfeed, Messenger, all of that. Okay. You know, Oculus and Instagram, maybe a little bit of a different story, um, but all of that's getting, you know, baked into, I mean, Oculus, not so much, but everything else is really getting baked in together. It's a beast that cannot be tamed. They have lost control of their own algorithms. They've lost control of their own code base. I mean, they, they you know, People want to say, oh, well, the Russians were, were you know, hijacking Facebook uh, and Facebook algorithms and all this stuff, and we got to do something about Facebook. I agree you got to do something about Facebook. A, delete your account. 
delete the fucking apps off of your phone, get rid of it all. And I know it's a pain in the ass. I think, I don't know if I talked about this on a Zomi one underground Q and a, or if I talked about it on a sovereign tech uh, episode proper, um, but it's a pain in the ass to delete your account now because now you have to actually delete your account in the fucking messenger app, which is outrageous because just installing the messenger app asks for so many on the average phone asks for so many permissions. I mean, they basically own your ass. They have the ability to make phone calls for you. If you install the messenger app and to be able to completely delete your Facebook account, you have to install that app. Talk about, <laughs> I, I mean, they're holding you hostage. At least your digital representation of yourself. And what does that mean for meat space? Well, like we were just saying, where's the difference anymore? This is bad. This is really, 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 really fucking bad. But the worst part is, is that even if you wanted to blame Facebook for it, even if you want to go after Facebook, they can't do anything. They have lost control of this beast. They don't know what to do about the, you know, I mean, and whatever, I, I, I don't give two rat shits about the Russians, you know, the whole, the whole, I mean, it, it's, it's such a stupid communist scare tactic. It, and I've said that, you know, over and over again, it's just a boogeyman for the news. I, I don't give a shit about that, but you know, can people do the basic things that a lot of that, that either get blamed on the Ruskies or, you know, get blamed on whatever. Sure they can, but that's because, and, and, you know, you have congressional hearings where they're saying, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, you have to solve this problem. He can't, he's lost control. His service is so crazy. I mean, there's like all this old code sitting around asking for the, for the craziest shit in the world. The best thing you can do is, and in fact, I heard Steve Gibson say this on security now recently. Yeah. You can you're just going to have to nuke Facebook. And I say that not literally, obviously metaphorically, you're going to just have to nuke the service, just wipe out those servers and start afresh. You have to start from the beginning. Everybody's going to have to sign up for a new account. You have to just get rid of all of it. That's the only thing you can do because this is again, a beast that cannot be tamed. There is no software solution to this. There's no regulatory solution to this. There's only one solution that is either start, you know, a completely new service that everybody has to go sign up for, or for you personally, delete the fucking apps and delete your fucking account and get the fuck away from these asshats. That's the solution. I'll be right back with some more Sovereign Tech. Woo! Beyond the moon, fighters, wave after wave after wave, lies a lone outpost in space. A potentially dangerous alien technology was smuggled aboard this station. Beyond the stars, blood calls out for blood. Lies a dream for universal peace. One night you'll wake up and find our teeth at your throat. Beyond imagination. Who would do this? Why? Lies Babylon 5, the series. Babylon 5 is available for download on your favorite torrent site. See it now to experience the greatest show in television history. Babylon 5. This week in blockchain. It is time for this week in blockchain where we get to talk up some Bitcoin, some cryptos, all the good stuff. And, uh, whoo, we got a, got a hell of a story here <laughs> that honestly, I think I might have a bit of a unique take on here. Um, not that I like always go for the hot takes. I just tell you what I feel, uh, what I think about things. And I know I'm not always the only one that thinks these things, but this is one where I think I might have something different to say. And we're going to talk about a little quote unquote cyber crime. And here we go. Uh, this is from Coindesk. Student gets 10 year jail term for SIM swap, uh, SIM swap crypto thefts 
worth $7.5 million. Student. So how old are we talking about here? Uh, And this story is from April 23rd, 2019. Very fresh. A 21-year-old student from the U.S. who stole over $7.5 million in cryptocurrency. And of course, Stanley breaking very quickly. That's at today's prices, which we are at an all-time sale price. You know it's just going to go up, baby. Uh, Anyway, via SIM swapping hacks, has been sentenced to 10 years in prison. So he's 21 years old. He's getting 10 years in prison. I want you to keep those numbers in mind. Let's keep going. The Santa Clara County's uh, district attorney's office announced Monday that the thief, thief, Joel Ortiz, had hacked the cell phones of at least 40 individuals. Ortiz has a prolific, or was a prolific SIM swapper, uh, the attorney's office said, adding that in one crime in May 2018, he stole more than 5.2 million in minutes from a cryptocurrency entrepreneur in Cupertino. Uh, He lavishly, quote-unquote lavishly, spent the stolen funds, including $10,000 at Los Angeles clubs, hiring a helicopter to go to a music festival, and on Gucci luggage and clothing, according to the announcements. Woo! Man, on fire. Anyway, Ortiz was taken into custody at L.A. uh, International Airport last year and pleaded no contest, accepting the charges but not pleading guilty to 10 felony theft charges earlier this year. So he accepted the charges. I want you to keep that in mind. 21 years old, 10 years in prison for this. Let's keep going. After two hearings, Ortiz was sentenced on Friday by Santa Clara County Judge Edward Lee, becoming one of the first people in the U.S. to be convicted of stealing cryptocurrency by SIM swapping. Judge Lee said, quote, These are not Robin Hoods. These are crooks who use a computer instead of a gun. Folks, Stanley breaking in. I am not reading, I am not reading to you the script for the 1994 movie Hackers starring Angelina Jolie. I know it sounds like it because it sounds like some kind of ass hit Hollywood script. And wow, that movie Crypto with Kurt Russell that just came out. Holy shit. Wait till you do my, wait till I do my review of that next week. What a piece of crap, but I can't wait to tell you why. Anyway, I'm, I'm reading. This is from an actual U.S. judge. They are quote, they are not just stealing some ethereal experimental currency. Oh, oh. Cryptocurrencies aren't just some ethereal experimental currency. Wasn't that interesting for a judge to say, reading on? They are stealing college funds, home mortgages, people's financial lives, end quote. Wait a minute. Are we getting a U.S. judge here saying that this shit actually has value? That's a very interesting concession to make. All right, well. Cryptocurrencies could be your college fund, home mortgages, or people's financial lives. I mean, I'm not going to say that's inaccurate. It's totally true. I'm just not used to judges talking about this like it's anything other than drug money. Be nice for, uh, I can think of a few names that it'd be nice if that money would just be considered uh, what it is and not considered, uh, you know, drug money. And you know who I'm talking about. Anyway, reading on. The case was investigated by the REACT, Regional Enforcement Allied Computer Team. Oh, man, boy, that sounds dangerous. Uh, Task Force, which subsequently seized $400,000 from Ortiz after his arrest. Okay, so again, $7.5 million. They seized $400,000. Let's keep going. The rest of the funds have either been spent or have been concealed, the attorney's office said. 
SIM swap hacks, in which the attackers manage to clone victims' SIM cards in order to access online accounts, are an increasingly popular uh, means of crypto theft. Earlier this year, a 20-year-old man from Ohio was formally charged in a New York Supreme Court uh, indictment for stealing the identities and cryptocurrency holdings of over 50 victims across the U.S. via SIM swaps. Um, anyway, there, there's the story kind of goes on a little bit. But here, I want to start breaking into this, okay? I'm going to tell you what you can do to keep swim, SIM swapping from happening, from happening to you. I'm going to tell you how to do that. All right. Because I don't want this to happen to you and shit should be, should be secured in such a way that it can't happen to you. Okay. Do you, do you got my position perfectly clear? I'm going to tell you how to keep this from happening to you. However, however, and this is where I guarantee you no other fucking podcast is going to tell you this. If I was, let's see, we got the guy in Ohio who's 20 years old. We got the guy in California, 21 years old, getting 10 years a pop. Oh, I don't know what the guy in Ohio got, but getting 10 years, they only seize 400,000. He still has 7 million that he either spent or that's concealed and extant because cryptocurrency is good for that, as it should be, which is one of the reasons that a SIM swap shouldn't happen in the first place because you should have your crypto locked down in such a way that it can't happen. Not at the, not with the amounts that this, uh, you know, that these enterprising young men, I'm sorry, that these, uh, uh, do I have to call them criminals ended up getting stuff. If I was 20 years old or if I was 21 years old and I got a shit ton of Bitcoin from doing this sort of thing, I'm not saying I would do this sort of thing. I'm not saying I condone these actions. I'm saying, let's be realistic about this. Let's be a little practical here. Would I sit 10 years in prison knowing that I've got 7 million and that's not even suggesting what Bitcoin or whatever cryptocurrency it's going to be, how much, what value it's going to have come uh, uh, 2029. Do you think I take that 10 years? Fuck yeah. Would I, would I say, yeah, go ahead, lock me up. What a great way to huddle. <laughs> I mean, what a great way to keep, <laughs> that's going to make sure that you don't spend it right? Cause you're in prison. And then all you, it's just a matter of time. All right. I'll be out in 2029 and I'm going to be a fucking trillionaire. Really? Like I, I wouldn't be surprised if they eventually knew now, eventually there's no way that I'm going to be able to keep doing this. Eventually they're going to catch me, but I don't care because I am going to be 30 and I'm going to be so fucking rich that, that I mean, look me personally, I feel like from the age of say 21 to 31 that I was basically in prison. I was in the U S military and I was married. You want to talk about prison? Woo. Now that said, <laughs> I'm just saying, I don't know how bad you want to feel for anybody in this situation, except for the people, you know, obviously they lost their funds. And look again, I'm not condoning this stuff. I'm just saying, let's be clear here. All right. That, that this, this could be part of the plan the whole time. And in the grand scheme of things, putting all morality aside, not a bad deal. Prison, it's a fine way to hodl, huh? No, I'm not. Prison's a terrible thing, and I don't condone the existence even of prisons. Okay, but that's a whole other conversation that we're not going to get into here. Now, how to keep sim swapping from happening to you. Basically, sim swapping is, uh, is somebody, a 20 or a 21-year-old, and it, look, we're not even getting into the fact that, you know, look, the, when you have a generation, a younger generation like this, that, that figures all this shit out and is so knee deep in the technological world that they can pull all this crap off. Um, I mean, for me in a very real way, I'm not saying I'm not condoning theft. I am just saying 
that I have hope for the future. Because if 20-year-olds can pull this stunt, these stunts off, like the NSA doesn't stand a fucking chance against people that know how to make this shit happen, right? And are willing to put it all on the line. Not condoning what they did. Just putting that out there. Now, how to keep this from happening to you. So basically, they would get in touch with, I mean, there's a few different ways, this, few different ways that sim swapping could happen, but they end up getting in touch with whoever your carrier is, you know, uh, T-Mobile, AT&T, whatever. And they convince them to convert your, your phone number, you, the quote unquote victim, your phone number and port it over to someone else, to their SIM card. Okay. To the, we'll, we'll say the, the bad actor. Okay. The bad actors SIM card. Once they do that, then they can use your phone number, which might be your second factor authentication, right? If you're authenticating via an SMS to access your Coinbase account, whatever account perhaps that somehow your cryptocurrencies are attached to your phone number. That's basically how SIM swapping, SIM swapping can be used for all kinds of exploits. It's not an, an identity theft and whatever else. It's not just about cryptocurrency, but cryptocurrency makes it a very attractive option because it's so easy to do. And frankly, a lot of that is because, yeah, I mean, you know, if you think about it, your smartphone, when you think about how much is on your smartphone, how important your smartphone is to you, first off, that should bring, talk about bringing you pause to say nothing of audiobooks. It should bring you fucking pause just how important your smartphone is to you and how that is a, shall we say, a central point of failure. That should, that should make you stop. But considering how important it is, and I just want you to think about that, you would think that the people that have the, the keys to that kingdom, that being your telco, and yes, they do. They can, I mean, you know it. Sprint can just reboot your phone uh, with command code. They, they can send it right to your phone and there's nothing you can do about it. You can't stop it. They got you by the balls. You understand? All, all the carriers, okay? You would think that they would have just some of the best and brightest working at those companies, at T-Mobile, at AT&T, at Verizon, but let me guess, you, uh, you know, maybe you just had Easter dinner, hmm? celebrate a little, uh, worshiping of Ishtar. I'm sorry, Jesus. Um, you know, and, and I don't know, passed around bunnies and eggs and whatever else had some peeps and then had some peeps over your house. How many of them worked at Verizon? Yeah. And, and, and tell me, tell me those are just the most like high quality or, you know, whatever, whatever company. Tell me they're just like the most high quality people you've ever met in your fucking life. And I'm not, I don't mean to insult anybody, but I know I have listeners that work at these companies and obviously you're fucking brilliant and I'm not talking about you if you're listening to this show. Okay. But you get my point and they have the keys to your kingdom and they are just waiting for some 21 enterprising 21 year old to call into them and say, you know, Hey, yeah, oh my, my phone's fucked up, blah, blah, blah. You know, they're, and they're doing some kind of social engineering on them. And next thing you know, they have your phone number and you are screwed. But no, you know, we just, I mean, working at, at AT&T, I mean, that's, that's minimum wage. That's minimum wage bullshit. And, but they have, again, they have the keys to your kingdom. That is your smartphone. You should think about that. You should think about how, just how much you rely upon that fucking device. When the people that have control of it are probably a fuck ton dumber than you are. And you're not dumb. Like I said, you're here, you're listening, you're brilliant. Um, anyway. Okay. So how do we solve this? Well, one thing is, is that carriers, not that this is any of this is necessarily foolproof. Okay. 
but you want to create, you need to create friction. Okay. Make it difficult, you know, that, that the effectively the bad actor who's trying to do a SIM swap, you want them to, they need to have more barriers to get through more. They need to know more information about you. And the more they have to know about you, the harder it is for them to actually successfully engage in a SIM swap. Okay. Again, SIM swap is something that's done remote. It's not something where they like, they get access to your phone and they pull your SIM card out or something like that. But if you ever wanted a great argument for why you want to have uh, a case around your phone, it's because it can and block that's it's it's another piece of friction to keep like your physical sim card from getting uh you know at, from from someone getting access to it but keep in mind sim cards are inherently insecure okay there's a reason when i used to be really hardcore about like dark android devices i would say anything that has a sim card is already effectively for lack of a better term hacked it's already cracked into it's over it's done and sim swapping is one of those cases where that's, you know, where that proves the point. Um, but regardless of that, so with just about every major carrier out there, you can set up a pin, okay. A pin number that any action you do, anytime you even call in to say Verizon, AT&T, whoever you have to put in that pin number, it's another number you're going to have to remember. Oh, gee whiz. Well, it's better than you better to remember a pin number than to remember all the money you fucking lost because some 21 year old owned your ass. So please remember that pin number, uh, set that up. Every carrier does it. Every single one of them. Uh, in fact, if you're using like Google Fi, there's a whole bunch of stuff that they go through to, to verify again, fuck Google, but I got to give Google credit. They really go the extra mile and offer the extra mile, uh, to keep your account locked down. And that is so that, I mean, th there's a great argument, honestly, for using Google Fi just on that, on that alone, because a lot of these SIM swap attacks, I don't know if a SIM swap attack has ever been successful on Google Fi. That'd be an interesting bit of information to find out. In fact, I might do a little uh, journalism on that investigative journalism and find out, but going on another thing you can do. And basically if you have anything, whatever kind of identifying information, credit card, I don't care. Uh, or I mean, credit card, you kind of can't help it, but certainly with your cryptocurrencies and say it's connected to your Coinbase account or something like that. I mean, first and foremost, you want wherever you can, don't use SMS two-factor authentication. Use an authentication app or a YubiKey. Um, you know, it uses many, again, you want to create as much friction as possible and friction that isn't tied to your phone number. Okay. As much as you can, other than that pin number trick that I just mentioned. Okay. Get that set up. Uh, and usually you can do that online. It's actually not hard, but anyway, uh, if you can, you know, use, I mean, maybe if you have to use SMS or something like that, or there has to be a phone number attached, it's a good bet. Get, get a different phone number. Okay. Now you can, do you have to buy a separate phone with a separate phone service? That's the best way to go. I know that that's expensive, but if we're talking millions of dollars, I'm going to assume you can afford it. Um, the other option, what is it like hushed? You know, I think that's the name of the app. There's a few of these where you can buy for like a yearly fee, monthly fee, even, or even for a couple weeks, you can buy a phone number, um, through this app. Keep in mind that you are buying this phone number through this app and this phone number, I mean, they, you know, whoever the company like hushed or whoever you're going to end up trusting them. And that could be a real problem. So I'm not saying that's the best solution, but that's a, a slightly easier one as well. Anything that holds the kind of value that we're talking about where it is life-changing. If you lose it, you need to go through all these processes, attach it to a completely different identity. Do not attach it to your digital identity proper. Okay. Um, you know, even if you use a fake name, that's not good enough. 
you know, I mean, just just do what you can to not have it attached to your digital identity in any way. Don't have it attached to your Twitter account. Don't have it attached to the phone number that you put out that you ever give to anyone, frankly. Okay, I mean, that's important. Now, the best thing as far as with crypto is to store your crypto on a hardware wallet. Um, And you could say, well, but that makes things difficult. I can't always keep an eye on it. A lot of uh, uh, wallet apps now, um, they actually, they'll allow you to like log in to your hardware wallet, like interact or at least keep an eye on your hardware wallet with just the wallet app itself. Like you can connect Mycelium to your Trezor uh, say, say like your, your Trezor Model T or something, or there's the block, was a Blockstream Green? They bought out Green Wallet, which was one of my favorite uh, uh, wallets for a good long while. Um, but Blockstream Green, uh, you could use that to attach to a Trezor or whatever. And that way you kind of have a hybrid solution where you don't always have to have your, your hardware wallet plugged in, but you can kind of keep an eye on things. Um, but using a hardware wallet and storing your cryptos on that and just making that that is how you do it and how you do it at all times, especially life-changing amounts. That is, in my opinion, a no-brainer and a 100 to $200 investment that can solve all of this from occurring to you or, you know, keep it from happening to you. So those are the things you want to do. Set up that pin, okay? Uh, maybe regularly change that pin if you want to do that with your, uh, you know, with your, your telco. And if you can, Use a completely different phone number if you have to use a phone number for some of these services for some kind of, uh, uh, you know, identifying information or something, whatever that ends up having to be. Use a completely different phone number. But then, you know, again, and if you can help it, use use an authenticator app and not SMS authentication for two-factor. And uh, like I said, go with a hardware wallet when it comes to crypto. Like, just, just please do that. So there you go. You have stuff to walk away with, practical information of what to do. Um, because I mean, these names, you, we're probably going to hear these names again and they're going to be trillionaires when they get out. Just saying. Anyway, I'll be right back with some more sovereign tech. Woo. In 2014, he ran from Miami to San Francisco, raising awareness for Bitcoin and the homeless epidemic in America. And now he's doing it again. Blockchain evangelist and advocate for homeless rights, Jason King, is running across North America right now, from Miami to Santa Monica, right now. Five years later, his commitment to promoting blockchain technology and fighting the homeless epidemic in America is stronger than ever. And you can help Jason now by going to blockchainacrossamerica.com. While you're there, donate to Satoshi Forest Sanctuary Incorporated to help the homeless, along with all kinds of other ways you can help. Get involved today blockchainacrossamerica.com that's blockchainacrossamerica.com this week's online review Woo, we're gonna end this baby off with uh with an online review which i know you love these and um no, I mean, if you thought I was going to go to the climax and that I was going to talk about uh, the new Avengers movie, <laughs> go shit yourself. <laughs> I'm not going to give that a dime. <laughs> not, no, no interest whatsoever. By the way, I didn't give the crypto movie a, a dime either. <laughs> no way. What? I, look, I could just go outside and I'm sure some animal dropped a steaming pile of shit that would be more entertaining to watch than the new Avengers film. Okay. So no, you're not going to get it. You're not getting a review. I don't care. I didn't see, uh, 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 well, anyway, whatever. I didn't see any of the latest Marvel films. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. Done with the comic book movies. No more. It's all over. I still read comic books. Fine. But 
kind of like we were talking about earlier between like reading books and audiobooks. You know, there's there's a difference, and hot damn, is there a difference? Uh, anyway, even though it really does feel like the comic book industry is is pretty much dead, uh, which obviously makes sense why they're putting so much money into comic book movies. But that's not what I'm here to talk about. You know, we're talking about things actionable, things you could do in the last segment, how you could protect yourself, and so on. Here's a great thing that 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 could really help you out with that, though you might want to be careful, and that is for our online review of the week. The Wenger 16999. Again, it's 16999. Swiss Army Knife Giant. Words cannot describe the size of this Swiss Army Knife. Giant is putting it mildly. I want you to click on the link. You take a good look. And I, I hate to break it to you because while I think this is a fine thing to have and could make you ready for anything. I mean, you want to talk about MacGyver? You're not going to be MacGyver. You're going to be Mr. Spock with this fucking thing. Are you kidding me? This is the Isaac Asimov of Swiss Army Knives. And unfortunately, these things, uh, now they, they fetch a pretty pretty hefty sum. Uh, in fact, the only one available is uh, $1,000. <laughs> and you still have to pay eight fifty for the fucking shipping. Now, just imagine that. How big is this thing if it, if it costs eight fifty for shipping? Yeah, it's huge. We're talking about something that has 87 implements. 141 functions. Now I carry a Swiss army knife with me at all times. In fact, I carry a classic tinker model. Of course it's black, not red. Uh, you know me that has like maybe, maybe, uh, uh, 20 functions tops, maybe, maybe seven or eight, uh, uh, implements, 87, 141 functions. Okay. And <laughs> Well, let, let's, let's read the description here. The giant knife from Wenger is just that giant. It's designed with an incredible 87 implements that perform 141 functions, making it the only tool you'll need to get any job done. Let's talk about what some of what's available on here. Uh, 2.5 inch, 60% uh, serrated locking blade, nail file, nail cleaner, corkscrew, adjustable pliers, wire crimper and cutter, removable screwdriver, a bit adapter, 2.5 inch blade for official world scout knife. Woo. Uh, and, and just imagine holding any of these <laughs> spring loaded. Anyway, spring loaded locking needle nose pliers with wire cutter. How handy removable screwdriver bit holder, Phillips head screwdriver bit, but there's, there's like 20 screwdrivers on this thing. I'm not kidding. Uh, magnetized recessed bit holder, double cut wood saw with ruler chain rivet setter, uh, removable five millimeter, uh, Allen wrench screwdriver for slotted and Phillips, uh, head screw. So you can put in kind of like a, a Lockman, right? You know, you can just add anything to it. Um, I mean, it just keeps going on a mineral crystal magnifier, snap shackle, uh, let's see compass, straight edge ruler, telescopic pointer, fish scaler. There's even, there's electronic devices on this thing. Uh, uh hooks. I don't know what the hell that is. Anyway, a uh, line guide, Shortex laboratory key. Wow. Micro tool holder, metal file, flashlight. Um, I, I mean, it just, it goes on and on. We're talking about 87 things here. Uh, the hell there's an all. Well, of course there's an all it's a Swiss army knife, uh, tweezers, toothpick. Oh, that's nice. Anyway, let's read some of the reviews with the, for this thing with 87 uh, <laughs> implements on it. So, you know what, actually this is even better. You, you know how on Amazon, how, like how they ask the questions, right? You know, like, does it have this? Does it do this? Uh, should I get this size or whatever? Right. So let's look at some of the questions before we even get into the reviews. Can it core an apple? The answer, of course it can, but the apple core blade is accessible only if you use it immediately after the, after the bagpipe bladder stitch removal cover button and before using the band, the Panda baby spoon. Uh, let's see. Can we see? 
sorry, folks, this is very serious. I want you to buy this knife. You understand? Cause I want you to be ready for anything. Okay. Here we go. Here's the question. Can we see a photo of this knife in the closed position? You got to see the photos. Of this. And I haven't seen this thing in the closed position ever. And here's the, here's the answer to that. This, this may be why no, unfortunately closing the knife <laughs> brings too much mass into one location, <laughs> causing the formation of a small black hole. This is not covered by the warranty. <laughs> Where, uh, here's another, so that maybe that's why I've never seen it closed. I don't know how that works. Like if you have to have the knife out at all times and it's always ready. I mean, that, that could kind of, you know, detour, a, a, a potential, uh, well, SIM swappers, maybe I don't know. No. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, here's another question. Where is the, uh, flugelhorn flugelhorn important thing to have? Uh, it's right in between the warp drive and the creme brulee torch <laughs> has a warp drive. 87 implementations, you understand? 141 functions faster than light travel is in those 141 functions, folks. How could you not spend? I mean, now that $1,000 price tag, fuck, that's low. You know how much a space shuttle costs? Pre-tax? Wait, it's all paid for with taxes. What am I talking about? Uh, let's see. <laughs> uh, is that a Wenger in your pocket or are you just happy to see me? Answer, that was a question. Answer, if you read the reviews, Girls can be impregnated by this device. So, you know, the answer. <laughs> All right, let's, let's get into some of the reviews. Those are enough of the questions. Let's get into the reviews here for the Wenger. Uh, what is it? The, the 16999, right? That's, that's the model number here. I forget what the Tinker is. It has, as a, well, the Tinker comes from Victronics. I don't even think that's a Wenger, but anyway, uh, so here we go. Surprising results. I tried to file my nails, but in the process, I accidentally fixed a small engine that was nearby, which was nice. That's nice. You know, amazing. You just go to file your nails. Oh shit. There's a broken engine and you know, this thing just fixes. Uh, let's see. How did I get this? That, that, that's, that's the title of the review. I didn't even order this knife. <laughs> Somehow it ordered itself. I'm so confused right now. <laughs> uh, here's the next one. Next review, uh, uh titled fluent to Vegas. <laughs> When I forgot to take it out of my backpack before trying to board my flight, the helpful TSA agent at the security area pointed out that by deploying the two large blades, the two larger blades, and the jet engine on the back side of the knife, I really didn't need a commercial flight, just a runway and some goggles. Boy, did I feel dumb, but I saved $605 on airfare. I mean, folks, again, that $1,000 price tag, nothing. It's pennies. If you can fly with this thing. Man, I just think about how much I flew over the past couple of years. And I would have saved thousands. Anyway, uh, let's see. Only one bug found. Okay, so here might be a little bit of a problem with this knife. Everybody's saying, oh, this thing just does everything. It's amazing. But here's a review where there might be a problem. Only shame is that the unicorn toothbrush does not operate properly when used at the same time with the parachute. Can't brush the unicorn's teeth? Goddamn. Yeah. When the parachute's out. So, okay. Th yeah, that's a bug. That's a problem. All right. Price tag might get a little crazy now. Let's do another one. Uh, here's the title. If you own a Roomba. Okay. Well, you know, uh, one of those, uh, robotic, uh, vacuum cleaners, right. For my robot. So far, I've only opened about half of the things on it and taped it to a Roomba. <laughs> it's been making small repairs around my home while in at work. Next project is to lock it in the garage with the car. <laughs> Well, I mean, that's, that's making Roomba a little more useful. All right. One more awesome knife. Here we go. I accidentally left this knife in the glove box 
uh, of my worn out 67 Chevy truck overnight. Miraculously, the knife fully restored the truck and drove it to the store, then returned with two hookers and a cooler full of beer. Woo! <laughs> and I don't know what city he's in, you know, but I mean, you know, two, two sex workers in, 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 in Chicago. I mean, what's that going to run you? I mean, that's a thousand dollars easy personally. I, I, all right. Not saying I know from experience or yeah, well, maybe I, anyway. Okay. That's enough. Sovereign tech for this week. Get your hands on the Wenger 16999 Swiss army knife. Uh, I feel, you know, now that I have my tinker, I just, I might feel like a little bit less of a man, but, um, I'll try and change this. So, and if you want to help me get my hands on a Wenger 16999, of course, join the Zomia one underground at Zomia1.com. Get access to thousands of hours of exclusive content and new content that comes out every week. And when I get my Wenger 16999, who the hell knows what kind of podcast will come out of that thing. It probably has a microphone on it and it'll just record everything and it automatically just magically uploads everything to Podbean. It's going to be amazing. I can't wait for this. Woo! Get ready for some more Sovereign Tech next week, baby, and all the other shows on Zomia One. Make sure you're checking them all out. I will see all of you whoo, on the other side. You just experienced Sovereign Tech. Go to SovereignTech.com. That's S-O-V-R-Y-N-Tech.com and connect with us there. Find links from today's show and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is copy heart. Copying art is an act of love, and love is not subject to law. So please, share the show however you like. Welcome to The Evolution. Can you get enough of the mana tomorrow? I didn't think so. Well, now you're going to get even more, along with some of the hottest hosts and podcasts around, because now Sovereign Tech has become an entire network. Woo! Zomia One, the most rebellious podcast network in the galaxy, with bleeding edge shows covering science, technology, and even pop culture. Podcasts like Sovereign Trek, bringing you the latest and greatest in everything Star Trek. TIE Fighter Renegades, a Star Wars podcast where the Man of Tomorrow and Robin Freebeard talk Star Wars like no other show out there. The Hard and Fast podcast where Metal is King and the latest album reviews and interviews with the greatest acts in hard rock and heavy metal happen. And you can even become a member of the Zomia One Underground and get access to thousands of hours of exclusive content and shows. And this isn't Patreon, baby. Oh no, this is all happening on the premier podcast platform, Podbean. So head over to Zomia1.com, that's Z-O-M-I-A-O-N-E.com, and become a part of the future with Zomia1, and become a member of the Zomia1 Underground, and while you're at it, download the Podbean app on iOS and Android. Be the future. Zomia1.com.